This is the Knicks Wall Podcast presented by Whistle Sports. Hopefully you heard already the return of Anthony Corbo. He joined Kyle Maggio and Aaron Summers to review the Tom Thibodeau hiring. This pod will focus on what to expect now that Tom Thibodeau's here. So joining me, which is becoming a frequent occurrence, Eli Cohen. Eli, what is up? Mike, how you doing? I'm excited to uh, overreact to some news. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was starving for news all week, so I'll take what I can get. But we have a very special guest joining us today. One of my favorite TKW people, one of my favorite people in general. Wow, you guys Sean- are so nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, I might butcher your last name, so you might not like me. Sean Geddes. Did I get that right? That's very close, especially considering until about first grade, I also thought it was Geddes, so I can never be mad at anybody. <laughs> what is it for future reference? Sean Geddes. Geddes. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> well, we got a special guest here, so... We'll kick it off with you. Sean, you were pro Tibbs for the full duration, right, I would say? Um, Yes, I was never anti-Tibbs. Okay, cool. So initial reaction for the players. Like, if you're a player on the Knicks, are you happy Tibbs is coming? If I'm a player on the Knicks, I'm definitely happy Tibbs is coming. But you have – like, when I think of that, am I a player on the Knicks, I think about the fact that we don't even know how many people are really, like, going to be here. That's the weird part of all of this. Like, you know, if I'm RJ or if I'm Mitch, you know, if I'm Frank, if I'm Frank, I'm ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for now, I, at least I am, I'm just going on RJ, Mitch, Frank, like you said, Taj, I think will stay around. And then probably Julius and Dennis, just because I don't see them getting traded right before the season. Eli, what do you think? Do you think I'm missing anybody from there? I think Reggie Bullock is a pretty typical Thibs guy. Like, especially with his, I think he's got a pretty small cap hold. So I don't see any reason not to just guarantee him and just keep another shooter on the wing. You can never have too many of those. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm trying to think of anybody else. Ellington's probably gone. Elf is hopefully gone, but yeah. So let's start I, with, let's start, wait, we I gonna... could see Elf sticking around to be honest. I don't oh, really? want to say it, but he Why? seems like a guy that Tibbs would like. Really? Why? Go into that. Because, I, I mean, mean just he's used like to a bad point guard. Because Chicago he used to bad point guard. And, uh, you know, he's like, he's one of those guys who theoretically is a good defender and runs an offense. Like, we know after watching him for a year that neither of those two things is, I mean, they're both kind of true, but also come with huge caveats. Like, he's a pretty bad defender, but he's just got, like, decent positional size and okay instincts. And he can, yeah, he can run an offense. It's just, you know, it's going to be clunky and it's not going to be the offense you want him to run. There aren't a lot of things that would, like, truly, truly, truly piss me off about this offseason. <laughs> Alfred Payton still being here is definitely number one on the list. <laughs> I have to agree 100%. Because one, thank God he cut his hair. But before, even before that, dude, I feel like he's just feeding Julius. And it got to the point, like, when you're live-tweeting games, you start to notice it more. And it's just like, dude, pass the ball somewhere else, man. Like, I'm tired of it. But in terms of... Thibodeau and what the roster, what we think will stay. I think this is great for RJ. I think one thing Thibodeau was really good at is 
blending with whatever roster he has. Like we saw him shift to Joe Kim when, as a playmaker when it became obvious that he was probably their best facilitator with Rose and that young Bulls team. I think he could do the same with RJ where RJ won't have to be either the very, very top option or even just a floor spacer. I think he could become the main facilitator now without having to be a quote-unquote point guard. Agreed. Like, Jimmy had a lot of success doing that on the wing for them. And even the way that he developed, I feel like RJ could see a lot of the same, you know, RJ could see a lot of the same growth that Jimmy saw in early in his career. And that would be really cool to see. Like, I'm, I'm happy for RJ in this scenario. Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing that we know about Tibbs is that he likes to put the ball in his big in his big wings hands like he tried to do that with Wiggins he tried to do it with Levine like even putting aside Jimmy Butler who he had a ton of success with and part of that is because you know he's had terrible point guards for most of his time outside of Rose and he traded uh, Rubio for Jeff Teague who was pretty awful for that team but he's definitely willing to give uh, his wings as many playmaking reps as possible and I think for RJ considering that's probably like that and spot up shooting are probably his two best offensive skills right now. So yeah, I think he's going to be perfect for him. I'm interested to see what he does in terms of expanding Mitchell Robinson's offensive workload. Like he's obviously not going to make him a point center the way that he did with Noah once Rose went down, but I do think he's shown some like willingness to let the centers stretch and flex their skill sets a little bit. And, you know, we see all these videos of, his gigantic five foot high crossovers in these training videos. So I don't know. I want to see what, what Mitch is going to look like playing in a Tibbs offense. Yeah. I was just about to say, I don't know if you saw some of those videos, he could run point center for a little bit. Some small stints, you know, a little, little handoff action. It's you know, a little it's garbage time, a little garbage time flexing. I wouldn't mind it, but yeah, I really think he's going to, I think his playing time secure. And you mentioned earlier, Frank's, I think Frank, do you guys still see him as like a starter potential? Or do you think he's at least going to be a super sub? I'm confident that he's going to get playing time regardless. But where do you guys see Frank fitting in within the lineup or rotation, rather? Personally, I think that Frank is like, you know, I feel like he's going to be that Swiss Army knife kind of first guard off the bench, maybe even second, depending on who else we have in here but that can play positions one through three in a pinch um, and just really versatile, can put him anywhere. Depending on how the offseason shakes out, maybe he even starts at two if we get like a smaller guard and they feel like they need to complement him and move RJ to the three. I don't really. But I feel like there's so many places he could fit. That's what I like a lot about Frank. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I I kind of see him in the same thing, sort of. I mean, obviously, like, the Knicks are nowhere close to the Warriors, so let's just put that right out there. But, like, some combination of Sean Livingston and Iguodala, like, what they were doing for them off the bench, I think probably makes the most sense where he can be, like, a spot starter if someone goes down. I would imagine that Leon Rose and those guys don't – would prefer to not have him in the starting lineup going forward because if they do have him, that's probably a bit of an indication about how the free agency went. Um, so I think like if any of their plans go well, the odds are he's not going to be in the starting lineup, but like you say, I think he's going to see a lot of minutes under Tibbs. I think he can easily get like 25 minutes off the bench and 
who knows? Like, he was looking really good in that role at the end of last season. Maybe that is what's best for him. I'm sort of, you know, I'm not – I think he could be a starter in the league, but I think, you know, he's got so far to go. Like, if he, if he shows it, he shows it. But as it is, I think that that kind of super sub, Swiss Army knife, do a little bit of all the dirty work is his perfect role, especially under a coach like Tibbs. Yeah, I kind of feel similar. And in terms of where he actually plays, like whether he starts or subs, I think that kind of will play itself out in who else the Knicks add to the team because there's still a draft and free agency to happen. But one play I'm kind of excited to see what happens is Dennis Smith because he kind of looked on the outs towards the end of the year and he still could be on the outs. But, you know, Thibodeau's had experience. He had major success with Rose, who was 10 times better than Dennis Smith at his peak, obviously, but still type same type of player. Do you think he can possibly save Dennis? Because this is this would probably be his last stand in New York. I think with I, Dennis – oh, oh, sorry, sorry, Sean, go no, ahead. You got it. You got it. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I was just going to say, I think with Dennis, like, the only person who's going to decide what happens with Dennis is Dennis. You know, he, he has the skills. Like, they're – I mean, he can't really shoot. So, he has holes in his game, but, like – the things that we saw from him last year that kept him off the floor weren't even really like skill set things. It was just like losing the ability to read the basketball game. Like he had that ability when he came over in the trade. Like we, we saw him as a, you know, probably still below average starting point guard, but for a 21 year old, it was fine. You know, he, he had that potential. So I really think that he's going to go as far as he lets himself go. And I do think that Tibbs has had a lot of success with guys I mean, even if you ignore uh, Rose, like what he did with Nate Robinson, for example, like all these undersized kind of slashing point guards that he's had throughout the years, I think he can probably get some confidence in Smith. It's just like, it's really a matter of where his head's at. Like, is he going to take to some tough coaching? Because we know Tibbs isn't going to like, you know, beat around the bushes if he's doing something wrong on the defensive end or if he's missing reads. So that's sort of my question with all these guys, because you know, other than probably like RJ and maybe Mitch, I, I don't know about him, but like, I think it's fair to question whether these guys will hold up to Tibbs' specific kind of like in your face coaching. Like a lot of them, it's, I'm not going to say are soft, but like could very well be soft. You know, who knows like how Knox and how Frank and how all these guys are going to respond to that. And I think Smith is in there like with his confidence questions is Dibs going to be able to like break on, break through to him and get him to get back to what he was? Or is he going to just completely like finalize the demoralization of Dennis Smith? Very well said. Very well said. I mean, that that's really where I'm at with it. I think that, you know, I try to be careful because I feel like I'm a homer for Dennis just as a Dreamville fan. And as like, I just really like Dennis Jr. And I believe in him a lot. Like last season, Kyle and I were like, leading the charge of like, you know, this is his breakout year. Like, and you know, he wasn't healthy. He had personal issues and then it just seemed to never really get aligned. So maybe all of this extra time is like, you know, a good thing for him. Like I'm sure he's in the gym with, we have the, when the next time we see him, it'll be almost a year since we really saw him. So, I mean, the jump shot may look way better. It may look like it looks in the preseason videos from last year when, you know, or the off-season workouts and stuff like that. So I hope for the best, as you were saying, like Tibbs got through with, you know, Nate Robinson, Aaron Brooks, and Dennis is one of those smaller guards with a lot of athleticism. He's got a lot of burst. I mean, the strengths in his game 
simply aren't things that go away. Like, yeah, he wasn't healthy, so it slowed down. But I mean, he in his rookie year, he averaged 15 and five. He's very quick on his first step. He gets to the basket with ease. He elevates. You know, he has good vision. As he had that game where he came and he had 19 and 13 with like six rebounds, and you know, so he has the ability to be the player that we want him to be. But as you said, it's kind of just on Dennis. So I can't guarantee that he would. But the thing that I like about this hire is that there is a standard. I think we all know that. We don't know exactly where it is, how much he may have wavered on it in the past, what his expectation may be. But we know there's a standard. So some guys will meet it and some guys won't. And I'd like to find out that way rather than not having a standard and guys being all over the place. Like, no, here's the standard. Meet this or, you know, move around. And that's a good start. Yeah, and after Fisdale, that's a welcome sight because with Fisdale, he played like the cool teacher kind of thing where nobody really knew what the full plan was, but he supported you. I think Thibodeau is going to offer that same support and probably teach you how to play basketball better and just know how to use you better. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into next. What kind of offense do you see the team running? We didn't mention Kevin Knox, but he's kind of in the same camp as Dennis Smith where he's got to fight. It's fight or flight time. So he's got to fit in with whatever Thibodeau comes in. But what did you guys think in terms of what the Knicks offense should look like? It didn't really have much of a system under Fisdale. We know Thibodeau has a kaleidoscope type of effect where he just implements different pieces of other people's offenses offenses into his system, but she doesn't really have one. So what do you guys want to see out of given what the core is right now? That's tough for me because I every it's it's weird. Every time I'm trying to look at like the point guard position and you know my energy on the whole manifestation of Lamelo. So if you have Lamelo ball running your offense, the expectation I feel like it changes a lot of things. Um, so as we're looking at currently, I would like to see the ball in RJ's hand more, plain and simple, regardless of who else comes in. Um, I'd like it to be more downhill. I feel like you know. RJ, Mitch, pick and rolls, things like that. You know, even whoever the point guard is, like just pick and roll heavy offenses and utilizing the gravity that Mitch has as he, you know, comes down the middle of the lane is where we should start. I think that we have a lot of young players and, you know, especially if we're going to be playing much better defense, I feel like we should try to be an up-tempo team. Yeah, totally agreed. I think getting out and running has got to be step one. Like that's where RJ that is best. Mitchell Robinson is one of the fastest centers in the league. Uh, even, you know, Knox is a little bit better. He shows a little bit more confidence on the break. Uh, I think a lot of the offensive questions are going to come down to stuff we've already talked about a little bit. Like if Peyton and Randall are still here, you know, Tibbs isn't exactly famous for having three-point heavy offense to begin with. So I'm pretty worried that if there are like both of those guys, especially, but even just one of them with Mitch and RJ, I mean, having a you – know, we basically went through this season with, like, four non-shooters. I mean, Mitch wasn't starting, but Taj also was a non-shooter. So if that's the case again next year, then I think – I mean, there's only really so much you can do with that uh, unless you're the San Antonio Spurs who just manufacture offense somehow. And we're still pretty mediocre this year. Like, I just don't see any ceiling for that offense that's above, like, bottom bottom ten. Um, so, yeah, so, so like Sean said, like if, if you get a LaMelo, then I think you have to just 
predicate everything on just running because you know LaMelo is going to make the right read and find his guys at the right time. RJ is great at passing and transition. And if not, if we're seeing a team that's similar to the one that we have this year, then I imagine we're just going to see like a lot of grind out basketball where they're just trying to work on defensive fundamentals and sort of, you know, chuck the offense out the window. Cause again, I just, I really don't know what you can do with that. That's going to lead to success. That's exactly. I want them to run because there's no real good isolation score. We tried the ISO experiment with Randall last year, it failed pretty miserably. But one thing that I've, have stuck in my head. I mentioned it before we recorded is bringing Kenny Atkinson on as an associate head coach, I think would do wonders just because I would like that Brooklyn Nets style offense on the Knicks because they don't shoot enough, even though they got a ton of snipers, it was still a lot of post-ups. I want to see more of that. And I think with the pieces with Mitch, RJ, they get LaMelo, maybe it's a little more compromised, but still you have Frank, Mitch and RJ, which are three Really good defenders. I would say RJ is more average compared to Frank and Mitch, but the point stands that you're going to have pieces already there that can already produce a strong offense, uh, defensive team. I think you just get out and run instead of trying to grind out those games because if it does, that means a lot more Julius Randle post-ups, and I just don't think that's a recipe for success. Yeah, I'd love to see us in transition. I feel like we didn't do it nearly enough last year. And the thing that was so upsetting is, like, you know, I'd see the ball in RJ's hand. I'd see him operating in the fast break and, you know, making nice passes or good decisions, getting all the way to the basket. And then I wouldn't see it for another two and a half quarters. And, you know, it's just sickening. So hopefully, as you guys said, like, we can just focus on, you know, creating offense off of our defense and getting out and running first and foremost. We have a very young team. I'm not sure why we're not doing that. Yeah, I think Knox could also benefit from that because I think three of his best highlights have been trailing transition dunks. The one where he baptized Ben Simmons was probably my favorite Knox moment as a Nick. And I feel like in the summer league, that's which is right now his peak, that's <laughs> what he was doing too where he would just get into the lane. And we haven't seen that guy much, if ever, since that happened. Yeah, and when, when you don't have a lot of great shot creators – then getting out and running and then having the, the offense be attacking defenses that aren't set, that's a good way to get your guys easy buckets. Like Knox can drive in a straight line. He just can't really do anything against the set defense. So if you have him, you know, there's only three guys back and they have to rotate and then Knox has to either drive or pass it off. Like I think that's how you sort of mitigate those weaknesses is you just get them as many reps as possible against non-set defenses. Like that, that's how you get around not having a great, one-on-one shot creator which like maybe RJ can get to eventually but given how shaky his shot is from basically all three levels you know it's not something that they have right now so they really have to do everything they have to get their advantages on the margins and I think that if you expand those margins and just like get out and run every single possession right like make a, a made free throw you should be down the court in you know three seconds trying to trying to push it and put pressure on the defense and I think that that's really the way that you get young guys who are not that good to manufacture buckets. That's what Philly in their like process days used to do is they, they basically, they just like work on defense and then just run and try to cram it down your throat every single time. And that's how they made up for not having any offensive talent whatsoever. And we're like, you know, we're a few steps ahead of that. So if they can do that, I really think that they can kind of even the playing field a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And one before I want to get to 
what this means for the draft plan in a second. But before we move on to that, Julius Randle, I've mentioned him a couple times. You guys mentioned him. Do you think there's any hope for him now under Tibbs? Do you think Tibbs could get him to buy in on defense? Because defensive awareness seemed to be his main weakness as well. Just awareness overall. I mean, there was one game against the Sixers. I remember he was being triple teamed and he didn't kick it out to RJ. And I wanted to throw up. But regardless, do you think he can be a new player under Tibbs? Because I see Taj Gibson there. I see him as a good mentor to kind of bring him into what Gibson was for the Bulls teams. Do you guys – am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. But I, Julius Randle is very good at basketball. And I think that he just has to stay out of his own way. And it would create a lot of opportunities for himself and others. And I, like I said about the standard, you know, where it's like some people are going to meet it and some people won't. I think having that standard, Julius, he's, you know, he seems – like a driven guy, tough guy. So I feel like he would he would respond well to Tibbs, and it's just like having that guidance and direction. I've always, from last year, just seeing – I feel like Julius Randle was also horribly misused last year. I think that, you know, to start the season off and have him be your primary wing creator is just insane. You set him up for failure. So I think that just any coach, but especially with it being Tibbs and him having the standard that he has, and if he – if Julius is still here, I feel like he'll be very useful. See, I, I agree with him being totally misused this year. Like, I, it feels like they just saw him make some decent passes on the break for New Orleans and were like, all right, let's scale that up to him being the full-time initiator, uh, which predictably just went horribly. But my bigger thing is, like, I do think that there's probably a good chance that Tibbs gets through to Randall and can help him work on some aspects of the game, especially defensively. And especially, you know, in terms of being a secondary passer, because that's something that he's always been good at is getting his bigs to pass. But where I, where like that falls short for me is that it doesn't, to me, it's not really a coaching thing. Like it doesn't matter who coaches him because the fit with Mitch and RJ is not going away unless one of those three magically becomes a, you know, 40% three-point shooter, which I just don't think is going to happen. Like, I think RJ can get to be, like, average to maybe even slightly above league average, but it's going to take him some time. Randall, we've seen him, like, the, the shot come and go, but even when it's there, it's still pretty far below, like, what league average is for a power forward. So unless it's, like, getting him to buy in to being – like, if, if Tibbs could get him to buy in to be the backup center. Yes, and yes. Get, like, 28 minutes off the I bench. Was just about to mention that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that. that's a win. That would be great. That would unleash all of his best qualities. That would let him, he could take the ball up as much as he wanted. He could play make, he could just be a brute inside. Like that would be doing him a great service, but can you do that for your highest paid player? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Tibbs can, because Tibbs has like the, the gravity of his name and the success that he's had. But that's honestly the only real way I can see like, these fit questions getting resolved. What do you think about this lineup real quick? This is just based off that Randall at the five Knox at the four. This is only for like, you know, 10 minutes spurt Knox at the four Iggy at the three Frank at the two and DSJ at point. That's a pretty fun, or you could even put Bullock in instead of Iggy, but that's a fun bench unit. Yeah. I mean, the defense will be terrible, but like right. if it's a bench lineup, then you just try to get some buckets and, you know, keep them from, getting too many buckets on you on the other end. I, I, I see no problem with that. I think that could work. And like Taj is your third center who can come in if you need him, if you want a little bit more defense. Right. Yeah. Taj could always float in between. You could always bump knocks up or down. But I think if Randall's at the point, uh, 
at the five, he could kind of be like a point center in the sense that they can really get up and down the floor like we mentioned earlier. But that would one, be a very fun lineup. But oh man, just thinking about that front court defense. <laughs> hey, we had it with Portis last year and we survived somehow. I don't know how our eyes survived all that, but a survived is like a pretty relative term, so the team was terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, barely survived, but Bobby's gone. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about draft plans now. Does this alter any of your thinking? I know we'll start with Sean, who I, I'm a very big fan of LaMelo now because I think Thibodeau would let him rock because Thibodeau is just smart enough to know when a player's gifted. So, Sean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the draft? Is it still all in for LaMelo? And if not, what another player that you'd like to see with It's 100% all in for LaMelo. I, you know, I'm not relenting at all. Um, and I think that he would really do well under – like, I don't know exactly what Tibbs' offensive system is going to be. I feel like, you know, the NBA has changed. His personnel is different. We're not even sure who he's putting on the floor yet. But I think that, like you said, he would let LaMelo rock. Like, he realizes when a player is gifted. And I feel like if you put the ball in LaMelo's hands and, you know, yeah, there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. But I just think that that – first of all, we said we want to see them get out and run. And I think that a playmaker like him makes that so much easier for everyone involved, like with his vision, his passing, his handle. So I'm still 100% all in on LaMelo. But if it's not LaMelo, uh, I fell in love with Denny a little bit um, just based on, like, you know, them starting to play again. Maybe that was it. Maybe because there was no other basketball. Um, but I really liked Denny. I feel like where he could fit in a few different places, giving us to, some flexibility. Uh, but then I realized that might have just been me, like I said, not having basketball. And, you know, I've, from a couple of people who know better than I do, they said not to buy all the way in. Um, I really like Killian. I feel like Killian's another guard that, you know, is the type of guard that Tibbs would do well with, just having the ball in his hands and letting him create. And, you know, and he's, he's a good defender, so that would also play into it. So that's where I'm at. It's either LaMelo and then Killian second for me. Yeah, I'm, I basically agree with everything that you said. I, it does seem like <clears throat> like Killian and Denny would be sort of classic Tibbs guys, and they're, they just kind of like grind. They like to play defense. They like to get out and run. Um, I'm also – I'm like – I really like Denny, but I do also – I feel like he's he seems like a really really high level uh, like connecting piece like someone who glues together a really good starting lineup, um, which is awesome. Like that that's the kind of player that they need. But if they're looking for you know a star upside, I the only person who you didn't mention, Sean, who I feel like might be someone that Tibbs could advocate for, and we don't know how much if any voice he's going to have in decision making, but. Anthony Edwards is one of those tools guys who I can't help but think that all he needs is a good coach to really like get him to like drill out those bad habits and get him to buy in on defense and, you know, use his unbelievable body control and athleticism. Like he's got that sort of, that sort of like mini Zion ability to just change direction really quickly while already in midair that like to adjust to the defense and get the ball up even you know around a seven footer um there's obviously a ton of like shot selection questions with him which also if you're pairing him with rj that's that's 
a little worrisome, but he seems like a guy that Tibbs would get his eye on and be like, oh, I could do something with him. In some ways, more than LaMelo to me, but I, I have LaMelo. He's, he's my number one. Like, if they get the number one pick, I think they should take LaMelo and not think twice. But he does, but Anthony Edwards seems like a guy who Tibbs would, could sort of fall in love with. I can't believe I agree with you, but I do because my reasoning for LaMelo applies perfectly to Edwards, which is Tibbs will make sure that he'll build a defensive wall to insulate LaMelo because LaMelo's only shortcoming, which could not be a shortcoming because we thought RJ would be a bad defender coming out of Duke, and that wasn't the case. So we can just be underrating LaMelo's defense, period. But either way, I think Thibodeau would build a defense that kind of hides him well. And I think he'd do the same for Edwards and also on offense, put Edwards in better positions to succeed. Because in Georgia, where Edwards got in trouble, where there was really no action, he was meandering around the perimeter and just launching J.R. Smith-like stepbacks. So if he's engaged, that's a completely different player. We saw it with that spurt against Michigan State. I think Tibbs is, could be good at getting that type of Anthony Edwards versus the one we saw you know, towards the end of the season at Georgia where he kind of checked out, it felt like. But, yeah, Killian, Denny, that's another one. I think Killian is actually a really enticing one, is because, especially if they fall right in that middle range where there's not really anyone else there. I think Killian offers that defensive potential, and he has a little, you know, D'Angelo Russell, second-level scorer type of thing where he's not going to be your best player, but if he's one of your two or three best players, that's pretty good. Yeah, I do wonder if we see, uh, like, if they do fall to sort of the six, seven, eight range, if we see Vassell's name coming up more and more, too, because that seems like a total Tibbs guy, another, you know, a long defender who can shoot. Oh, yeah, 100%. Any type of two way player, Tibbs loves. I really love Vassell. I'm not going to lie. Like, there's a part of me that doesn't want to take him that high. And I, I just, I want to, I want the point guard question to be answered. I want that really badly. Um, I feel like there's so, so for so long, that position just hasn't been taken care of properly, hasn't been addressed. And I'm afraid of what they'll do if we don't draft one. Like, like I said, Alfred Payton cannot come back. So <laughs> I need us to figure that out. And I feel like because of this draft, because Lamelo's there, which like I said, I'm manifesting all the way, but I just look at the top of the draft and I look around at the teams and, you know, outside of maybe Detroit, and, I mean, Charlotte just paid Terry Rosier and they had Devontae Graham, but maybe they feel like they need a point guard. I don't know. Not a lot of those teams up there need a point guard. So, I feel like even mm-hmm. if we don't end up with LaMelo, I feel like Killian shouldn't be too far behind. Like, we should be able to get our guy. Yeah, I saw well, reports. And that, Sam – Go ahead. So, I was just going to say, I think I was going to say the same thing with you, but the I, Sam Vecini recently had yep. an article where he was saying that scouts or like, and, like, executives seem to be a little lower on Killian than everyone – than, like, the draft Twitter sphere that – most of them have him sort of like mid to back end of the lotto rather than like one to mid. So I think it's very possible. He He's always sort of struck me as a guy that draft Twitter really likes that might fall a little bit, sort of like the inverse of like, you know, when you get, I think maybe like a Cole Anthony or a Wiseman who are guys that people on Twitter seem to be lower on, but executives will be like, oh yeah, that's a guy that we can, you know, use and mold and shape. Um, so I feel like Killian, there's a really good chance he slips. My thing I keep going back and forth on Vassell with, I'm, I'm like really interested in him because I think he sort of benefits from being the only three and D wing that's sort of like Lotto projected because like he's definitely good and I, I really like his skill set and I think that he does have some interesting like off the dribble 
potential, but yeah, I don't think he's he's you know this surefire three and D wing. Like I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really interested to see what he becomes as a pro because I I think that he's good, but I think he's getting a little bit. I think there's a little bit of projecting things that aren't necessarily there with him as well. And that's what I meant by I was like, you know, I love him. I love his game, but I don't know if I want to take him, like, if we're at five or six, you know, like that. I don't want to reach for him. But I, I really do love his game and his potential. Um, and as far as scouts being lower on Killian, I feel like this whole time, I just I, – I know I'm not a draft expert. So, you know, when you guys dive into the draft, people dive into the draft, I know some things. But when people are telling me these things about Killian and everyone says it, I've kind of just taken it. But I still – I always ask, like, what is it that you guys are seeing? I like him. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, some people say they have him over LaMelo. And I'm just like, when I see the things that jump off the screen to me for LaMelo, I don't – not a lot about Killian jumps off the screen to me. Well, it's kind of – he's very similar to LaMelo in terms of what he brings in terms of, like, above-average playmaking. He's just not – LaMelo just naturally flashier. And he's bigger, and he's, I think he has more potential offensively. I think Killian is more of just like like the slower, like very subtle score where he has like that hardened step back is the clip you probably always see of when you talk about Killian. But Lamelo's just on a different level where you can see that he can get to the rim probably a little easier than Killian would have to. I'm pretty sure Lamelo is better with both hands. Killian has a lefty problem, kind of like RJ. So that's another concern that some people probably have. But in terms of, I think Killian's, just a safer pick more than anything. Yeah, see, to me, the thing that puts LaMelo above Killian is just the... Okay, so Killian obviously has the huge edge on defense. I think he's just a really good defender, and I think he'll become one of the better point of attack and team defenders, like, from the guard position, like, in time. But LaMelo can just get anywhere he wants on the court at any time, even with his shaky shot. And Killian really like the the team really schemed to get him going downhill left hand a lot of the time last year like you could really see them working to to push him that way every single time and I, I see there's a lot of clips online of people talking about when he start has to go right his handle gets much more limited and his passing gets much more limited and I think that that is a really big weakness especially with another guy who's so left-handed dominant like you said in RJ um but yeah, so so to me, the big differentiator on offense is Killian's like lack, his need for a very specific setting to be able to get to any spot on the rim or on the court. Whereas Lamelo is just there and can he can just manipulate the defense to do whatever he wants. And then just like Killian is a great passer with his left hand, but Lamelo is just you know he's just making up passes on the spot that have never been done before. He's just, and he sees I don't know, the way he sees the game is it's almost like he's seeing things that are multiple steps ahead and just kind of manipulates everything to get it right where he needs to. And so he, he, I agree that he's a little bit more boom bust doesn't really feel right. Cause I don't think he's going to bust, but he's got a little bit more volatility to him where Killian does seem much more steady. But I do think that Lamelo's ceiling is, you know, a, probably a tier, probably a tier higher than Killian's ceiling. Yeah, I think he would benefit more. I think LaMelo would benefit more from Thibodeau than – I think Killian would thrive in, in a more system – under a coach, rather, that doesn't focus on defense as much as Thibodeau does. But going back to Sean's point, I really don't think 
I think Detroit and Chicago are the only two teams that would scare me in the lottery, assuming, you know, I mean, who else is there? Suns. Yeah, I think those are the only two teams. And I think push comes to shove, I really think the Knicks are going to make a big trade because they do want some type of splash in this abbreviated offseason. But I wanted to transition that to our last topic, which are what are some free agents or even trade targets that you think Thibodeau might push the team towards? Right now, Zach Levine's name is starting to bubble up. Did he coach? He coached Levine for one year, right? They made the yes. Butler trade after – okay. Yeah, so he's has experience with Levine. That's a name. Brandon Ingram's a restricted free agent. Derek Rose, that was already reported that he might be open to reunion if Thibodeau's in New York. Donovan Mitchell, any all these – there's a bunch of names. Anyone in particular? Sean, we'll go with you first. Um, I, I can't think of anyone in particular that he may steer us toward. Um, I think there's certain people that would fit better. I mean, in an ideal world, Brandon Ingram would be here, but it's not happening. They're matching anything. Um, and then from there, I really feel like there's no, there's not any, like, I don't think he's going to bring Derrick Rose back. I, I, at least I don't really want that. I mean, not this year. That's not, you know, I, I need us to figure out the point guard position this year and, like, at least be working towards something. If we're not going to find our long-term starter this year, if we're not going to draft one, give the minutes to Frank. You know, I just don't want to bring Derek Rose here and interrupt that. Um, Donovan Mitchell would be great to have. And he, he also seems like the type – everything that we liked about Anthony Edwards with Tibbs seems like what Donovan Mitchell would already be. Um, that would kind of be perfect, you know, and it would give us – that's another a wing player that he can have creating – things like that. So I would, I would, I personally would enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I agree. And I think the, the one other name that I think would fit really well with him is Van Vliet, you know, a guy who's pretty low maintenance can just knock down shots and works his ass off on D despite, you know, his physical limitations. Um, He seems like a very typical Tibbs point guard for like the post Rose era. Um, I do feel like he probably like, again, we don't know how much voice he'll have. He, Considering his track record in Minnesota, which was to get Taj and then Rose and then Butler to basically just recreate the entire team, I do worry, even John Lucas III, I, I do kind of worry that he would push for Rose. Um, but hopefully Leon Rose and Scott Perry are, you know, a little bit more forward thinking than that because, you know, like Sean said, like, Stop gaps are fine, but at a certain point, you've got to start investing some resources. You know, even the point guard prospects we have are not going to become point guards if they're not allowed to be point guards. And while the point guard prospects we have are not that great, you're never going to see how good they actually are if they're not given that chance. So hopefully, like, you know, someone like Van Vliet, who can play both the one and the two, and, like, like I think Van Vliet would work next to RJ as a two, next to Frank if Frank is playing the one, next to Dennis Smith, if he can get on the court, like, I think he can really be a nice versatile piece and has a lot of experience winning. Like if you have him and Taj and even like Reggie Bullock, maybe, maybe not. But if you have at least those two guys in the locker room, those are some really good veteran presences that know how to win and know how to, you know, how to do the little things to extend your career. Even if you're not the most physically gifted athlete, like those are two of the perfect guys to have in a tips locker room. I think like they'll really hold their teammates accountable and they really care about defense and just doing the little things it takes to push your team to the next level. 
Yeah, I I don't feel any strongly about any players in particular. Mitchell, I think, would be the ideal candidate because he's a two-way player, can splash from deep, defends, actually takes pride in his defense. Um, in terms of, like, the lower-tier free agents, Bertans is probably the only one that strikes me because we saw what Miritich was able to do in Chicago. I think Bertans gives you that same type of action. So that's a player I would keep in mind. But, uh, yeah, just before we get out of here, I wanted to hop into some mailbag questions for you guys. So I'll read them off, and whoever wants to go first, let's do it. So first one comes in from Kobe Bean Burner. Is Mitch a definite starter now? And does this mean Frank has a bigger role next year? We kind of talked about it, but if whoever wants to take that one. Uh, I feel like Mitch has to be the starter. Like, Mitch has to be. Don't waste any more time. Like, if Mitch isn't the starter next year, we're still doing this, you know, 22 minutes a game off the bench thing in year three. I'm going to be very upset. So, I feel like, yes, Mitch has got to be the starter. He's got to be, like, not only the starter, but, like, the staple. Like, I feel like Mitch has to be a staple of everything that we're doing moving forward. And Frank definitely gets a bigger role, as we discussed earlier. Like, Swiss Army Knife guy, I use him all over the place, have him guard whoever. I think Tibbs is going to love him. Yeah, I think it's an easy yes and yes. Like, if, if Mitch isn't the starter, then something has gone disastrously wrong, right? That's either a terrible sign for the coaching staff, a terrible sign for Mitch himself as, as his development path keep, like keeps going. And, like, there's, yeah, there's just no reason. Tibbs or no Tibbs, honestly, if Mitch isn't the starter – this coming season, it's a huge mistake. And I'm like, I'm pretty confident considering Rose has come out and said that he's, you know, one of the two core pieces. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't believe he wasn't the starter by the end of last season. So if it's still continuing next season, that's a huge problem. Yeah, I agree. And I had the same thoughts, but Jamal Adams just got traded today. So my trust level with organizations and their star players has crippled to the point where I can expect anything. But moving to the next question, this comes from All Boss Of. He says, now that we know who the coach is, can you make a list of prospects who you think would thrive under Tibbs? We kind of talked about this. So, well, lottery, we already talked about, LaMelo. 27th and 38th is a little more interesting. Uh, Eli, you want to start with that one? Yeah, sure. Uh, so one guy that I just put a, put out an article on who's probably not going to be available at 27, and it would definitely be a reach wherever they're picking in the lottery, but – I think Patrick Williams would be a really good Tibbs guy. Um, he's like a he's a four who can shoot and is a really good high level team defender. He's not like a huge shot blocker or you know he doesn't like get a ton of steals, but he just he plays ferocious team defense and he can do it. Like he, that Florida State defense was insane and he was picking up basically like ninety four feet and just making things happen constantly. Uh, so I think he would be great. I think that uh, like. I'd be a little wary about investing a first round pick in him, but Jalen Smith as like a backup five who can shoot and protect the rim would be really good. And like we, we talked about Vassell. I think he would be a total one of those guys and Tyler Bay, who I'm, I'm getting like a little bit lower on um, cause I'm not sure how real his skill set actually is, but you know, he's another one of those like long bodies who just kind of can play the three or four and just, make people miserable swinging those long arms around. Uh, I think all of those guys would be good tips guys. Yeah. I really like Jalen Smith. I've, he's been my, he's been my 27 in my head for a while now. Just, you know, I feel like he can make, like he can be on the board there and he can do a lot of things for us in a, 
he can fill a very necessary role, like, and long-term, you know, the, the five off the bench, even maybe some lineups you throw him out there with Mitch for, like, a few minutes, and he spaces the floor a little bit, and, you know, you've got three smaller guys out there. Who knows? But I feel like, you know, he can get a nice, solid, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, even from year one, and be, you know, value usable, valuable. Uh, I also like Desmond Bain. I've been hearing his name a lot, but mm. I feel like I'm hearing his name so much that he won't be there. Like I don't, I just don't think he's gonna be there. Like all, from from the looks of it and the tools that he seems to have and his jumper, I just don't see him being there at 27. But if he is, I would love to pick him up. Yeah, that's a good name. I totally forgot about that. But yeah, he would be ideal. He he seems. Re- I agree. I think he's gonna rise too far up, but that dude is good on both sides of the ball too. And I think also, you know, with what we've talked about with Tibbs' success with smaller guards, um, Grant Riller, I think, would be great. He puts a lot of pressure on the rim, and Tibbs loves that. And he's not much of a passer, but he can make a read. Um, so I think that he would do really well in a Tibbs system. Yeah, and the only names I think I would add to that is Trey Jones from Duke, defensive-minded guy. Doesn't have that great of a three-point shot, but has a decent midi he could hit. Uh, two Washington Huskies, shout out Jess Reinhardt, Jaden McDaniels, and Isaiah Stewart. And then for the second round pick, Killian Tilly's another big that I like. I think uh, we'll have a some profile on him coming up. But, yeah, those are some names in addition to everything Eli and Sean said. Um, that's what I, I like about – sorry. Not good. That's what I like about picking up the early second and even having the 27th pick because, you know, not to jump on the main or anything, but just – you know, when somebody's sliding down the board like Bull Bull or, you know, a KPJ, like there's going to be that guy. There's going to be that guy who's not supposed to still be there. Exactly. Yep. I think McDaniels fits that type of profile. I've seen KD comparisons, which is always a kiss of death. Just as, as somebody from Jersey, I know Kyle Anderson got that comp and it's kind of been so-so since then. But Jane McDaniels is talented. And I think he's one of those names, Nico Mannion. But uh, moving on to the next question. We, this comes from iMagatron. That's a pretty funny name. Um, we know Tim Thibodeau is a great defensive mind, but do you feel he can get Knox to buckle down on defense and keep him on the floor? Also, do you see other stars in the league more interested in New York now, knowing they have a no-nonsense coach? Sean, you want to start that one off? I think that for in year three, Knox has to just – he has to start putting things together at this point. Um, and Tibbs, like – like we said earlier, this, there's a standard now. So it's, are you going to meet it or not? And I believe I'm going to, I'm going to be positive. You know, I know that Kyle might be throwing his phone as he hears this, but I'm going to be positive and believe in Kevin Knox and think that he may be able to turn around and like make, cause he's, he could definitely be a very useful part of this rotation and lineup roster. And what was the second part of the question? I'm sorry. Would do you see more stars looking at New York in a better light because they, there's a no-nonsense coach there now? No, uh, not based on the coach being here. I think that if the no-nonsense coach starts winning games with a very competent front office and things look good, then stars will want to play here. Nobody's going to say, oh, Tom Thibodeau's there. Like, let me go now. Like, we have to, like, you know, put it – we've got things in place. We've got a nice front office making good moves, shrewd moves. If the coaching hire works out and people start to see good things and see improvement – then stars will be like, okay. Yeah, I I think that that's totally right. I I want to believe in Kevin Knox. I just have a hard time, like I have a hard time seeing it. 
I have a hard time seeing what his role on this team would be unless he becomes, you know, just so much better in so many different areas. Uh, I think if he if he stays as a bench player, I'm just I basically, basically I feel like he if he doesn't become a starting level four, then I'm just really worried about how if he's ever going to be able to be you know a productive and impactful player at all. Like I don't really know if he can even just be a guy off the bench who just comes in and gives you some offense because he's so far behind and so many of the ball handling and seeing the floor and just general defense. So I would like to think that Tibbs can have an impact and it's definitely possible. Um, but I remain skeptical. Uh, but like I said, I'm rooting for him. I would love to see him prove me wrong. Um, and I, I, it's interesting with the, the Tibbs question, cause I think it seems like he's got a kind of a mixed reputation. Like there are, definitely a lot of players in the league who really respect him and really like him. Um, but you also see a lot of like, like some of the quotes that were coming out of Minnesota towards the end of his tenure there were just really scary. Like Jeff Teague basically begging Tibbs to use Tyus Jones because he could be helpful and begging them to, you know, let Towns shoot. Like they, there were just a lot of, or to not play them all 40 minutes a night, Butler, there were kind of like these open revolts happening even before Butler had that infamous practice. And I feel like that gets around a lot. And a lot of those guys, even Teague, who has been in the league for years, you know, they have a lot of friends who I'm sure saw that and are, would not exactly be lining up to play under that. So I, I really feel like it's a mixed bag. I don't think I agree with Sean though. I don't think stars are going to come here because of Tibbs. Stars are going to come here if they're the good foundation and they see that they're not acting like a circus every night and, you know, sending out press releases to justify their clown behavior, then maybe we'll start to see people want to come here. But yeah, I think Tibbs is maybe a step in the right direction. He, he could like maybe open the door a little bit more, but it's not going to be about him. Right. And that point that you hit on with Minnesota ending like that, that we didn't really talk to it that much, but I want to know if that incident, especially specifically his relationship with Carl Towns, was a one-off, or is it just kind of like you kind of see where the age gap kind of switch? Where I would kind of put Jimmy Butler in the, I guess, generation above Towns. So I want to see maybe Tibbs is just better connected with the mellow that generation of people, mellow LeBron era, versus this newer generation, which I think Towns is a part of. So. That's an interesting thing to pay attention to, which leads us to our next question pretty nicely. This is by Sky High underscore five. He says, with Tibbs loving veterans, what's your projected opening day starting lineup? Eli, what, what do you think on that? Oh, man. Um, well, we know RJ is going to be starting. We know or assume that Mitch is going to be starting. It's, it's hard to say because as much as I want to say Julius Randle will be traded, it's pretty – unlikely like it could happen and I would say there's even like decent chances of it happening but if you know if we're going to look at the odds the odds are definitely that he would still be there so if I'm going to be conservative I would say like maybe Van Vliet although I still don't really believe he leaves Toronto because that's such a great situation for him uh RJ Bullock Randall Mitch something like that if I'm going to be like that, and, and again, I really don't even, I, I don't think they're going to get Van Vliet. I would love them to. But if not, then 
I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time believing that we're going to get – oh, I guess, like, whoever, whoever the rookie is, right, it will probably be starting unless they're at a position that's locked up by, like, a Julius Randle or if they get Van Vliet, they'll probably start Van Vliet. Um, so it, it, it's really hard to say. They, they have so many moving pieces right now. And I would be surprised, though, if, you know, more than two of those young guys are in the starting lineup unless they get like the number one pick. And then you got, you, you got to start LaMelo or Anthony Edwards. But other than that, I would expect it to be a pretty strong mix of the two. Just please shoot me if we're still starting Reggie Bullock. And not that I, like, not that he's, like, I just, we shouldn't have been doing it last year. Like, don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. That's like, he's good. He's good to keep around in this contract and, you know, have an extra wing to throw out there to serviceable. But I don't want him starting. I, I, I'd really be upset about that, especially from opening day. That would just be a bleak <laughs> outlook on the season. <laughs> just, <That> ass, man. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. We need, to, we need to have a sense of direction at the very least. And, you know, if, I feel like if there's going to be a vet in the starting lineup at this point on this team that we have, they need to be somebody who is, you know, like, at le- first of all, I barely want Randall to start this year. Like, we already discussed that he would be best as a sec- uh, six man, but we understand that if the highest played player, it's more difficult for that. So whatever. But I'm going to go with, let's say in the event that Randall does get moved out of here. Um, I... I the manifestation, I'm sorry. I'm a very consistent person. So LaMelo's at the one. Um, I'm going to say RJ at the two. Or you know what? No, because I won't go free agency crazy. I'm going to say LaMelo at the one, Frank at the two, RJ at the three, De- Danilo Gallinari at the four. Damn, you took my whole lineup. Wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. <Mitch> the five. <laughs> That's crazy. I was sitting here. I was like, yo, there's no way. I know you're going to have LaMelo, but I was like, all right, he's, he's going to give me at least Danilo. But, yeah, <laughs> same lineup, you know. That's, that's who I'm choosing, too. And hopefully Randall's – if he's not here, hopefully he finds a better spot. But uh, we'll do one more. This is a pretty interesting one. Uh, I'm going to butcher your at name, so I'm not even going to bother. Which assistants would fit the most to modernize Tibbs' coaching IQ? My guess is that question is basically saying – is there another hire that can kind of bring Tibbs to this generation? I mean, I think if you look at one of like those assistant coaches, especially the younger guys who are kind of in the running, but we all knew we're never really in the running. Like you get, I don't know, Will Hardy or um, I forget the, the Dallas guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Any of those three, I think would be really good for his offense. Um, even, you know, I think Woodson would be okay. I don't, he's not my first choice by a long shot, but I think he'd probably be okay as an offensive coordinator. Um, and then, you know, I I think Mike Miller should get a shot to still be that lead assistant coach. Yeah. I think Bagley, uh, said that Woodson and Miller have strong support. So that tells me that they will likely be on the staff. As I said, I wanted Kenny Atkinson brought on as an associate role, kind of be like that offensive coordinator type for Tibbs, which worked for him in Boston under Doc Rivers, and I really think it can work in New York. And if Tibbs is focusing on defense exclusively and let Atkinson kind of infuse what what worked with the Nets in New York, I think that would be really well. Um, Will Hardy, like you said, uh, Mosley from Dallas, Amidoka from San, from Philly via San Antonio – those are just some names. I think anyone Tibbs brings on is going to be open-minded 
when he was not coaching, he was visiting other teams and seeing what they were doing. So he's a basketball junkie, and that's probably the main reason I kind of trust him to an extent to not do what Fisdale did and what Hornacek did, which is just shit the bed altogether. So I guess that's a little solace. But uh, any last I will say that I will say that a uh, like a Tibbs, Woodson, Miller – top three is like a bunch of old dudes who are pretty seem pretty set in their ways. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how much innovation you're going to see out of that group. So it would be nice to get like one kind of younger guy from like a different kind of coaching philosophy come in. I think that that would be like a nice kind of change of pace. But again, yeah. we were talking a little bit about this earlier. I think like it's so hard to evaluate coaches and especially assistant coaches. Um, so it's, it's all, it's kind of all just guesswork. So, like, especially, like, with a guy like Woodson, who has experience running a good offense, but we've also seen him, you know, sort of only do that by default and then shy away from it when it actually works. So, it's it's really so hard to say for sure. And I love the thought of Kenny coming here as an associate. I don't know if that's something that Kenny would be open to because um, right. I'm, I'm sure he, there's plenty of opportunities that he could have for head coaching, if not this year or the year after. But the only issue I do see with that, uh, as a Knicks fan, I feel like we're just conditioned to imagine the worst. And I'm thinking about that, you know, fourth week of the season where we're six and nine and everybody's screaming that Kenny needs to be the head coach because Tibbs doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, that'll get annoying really fast. So I, I hope there wouldn't be like, you know, the back page narrative of, oh, who's the real coach? Like that's so that might not be the best idea. It'd be like the Dennis Smith Frank debate chanting, We want Frank, but for coaches. That was so mean. Yeah, that would be hard. It was so mean. I was in the crowd that night. I was so sick for Dennis. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. It was like that and the booing of Mello in that Charlotte game where he ended up hitting the game winner. But I don't know if you guys remember, but the crowd was booing him every time he took like more than one second with the ball. And then he hit the game winner and the crowd went wild. He said, I don't want it. Like those were the mm-hmm. two like most tragic Knicks moments to me. Like all their like their their foibles aside, all their terrible trades, like those two just broke my heart. Yeah, that would uh, that would that was just not good. But Miller, one thing for Miller, I will kind of back Miller up on this. At least he'll have insight on how to use guys like Kenny Wooten, who we didn't really get into, Iggy Bresdinkis. Like he's familiar with like kind of the lesser known players that might still be within the organization, maybe not the main roster to start. So I think Miller could be useful. Woodson's the one. I'm, I mean, I like Woodson. He gave us the golden year, but I'm not clamoring for him to return. I would rather Kenny Atkinson return. And I do think that possibility that you uh, outlined, Sean, could happen. But the flip side of that is if if they win, if they win it's not going to be a thing. And yeah, also the opportunities, I don't know. It's a quick turnaround to next season. The only real opening right now is the Brooklyn Nets, and obviously he's not going to be in the running for that. Houston, I don't know what's going on with D'Antoni, but I don't really see many other openings right now. He could just choose to take the year off. But I feel like an associate head coach role is kind of viewed as, like, you're the consigliere to the head coach. So maybe Atkinson could be talked into it. Maybe that's what that third interview was about. But I don't know. We'll see. Now that you mentioned, I feel like he kind of would make some sense in Houston, even despite their like star. Like, oh, he kind of gets that that sort of team ball that they're they're building everything kind of five out and just constant either ISO or ball movement, which is I guess a little bit of a contradiction. But he would actually be kind of good in that role. 
Oh yeah. I would. I also want to point out one guy that we did not talk about, who I think will be really good under Tibbs, and is exactly his kind of guy, is Jared Harper, the guy that they got Ooh, okay. on the right. two way. Like yeah. he, you know, a shooter. He's again another small shooter who can just slash and get to the bucket, and a decent passer. Like I, I think he could actually. And like a lot of people were saying that if he was in this draft, he would be a first round pick like pretty easily. So we could see a little bit of Harper as like the backup shot creating point guard, which would be kind of refreshing to be honest. Yeah. I wanted Lamar Pierce to get more of a look with the main roster. We saw Trey Burke have success. So I think have and Kadeem Allen, obviously. So that would be, that's interesting. I didn't really think about Harper. I kind of overlooked him, but yeah, it's another player to look at, but uh, Sean, you got anything to plug anything coming up, any shows to look out for? Um, same old thing. Don't watch this right there on the timeline live pretty much nightly unless I'm like tired or out, but and I don't go anywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> make sure you check those out. Yeah. Those are very funny. Oh, and, uh, the, uh, for my impossible brand, uh, we'll be relaunching the positive thinking caps. So stay tuned for that. Cool. Yeah. We'll make sure to put a link in the blog post for that. Uh, Eli, anything bubbling, any articles coming up or anything to plug? Nothing right now. Uh, I did release that Pat Williams scouting report uh, earlier this week, so go check that out. But otherwise, I'll just be watching these the scrimmages and the play-in games and tweeting about them. So just come talk to me on, on Twitter. Yeah, most definitely. Well, until next time, we'll have, we finally have some things to talk about, so more content will be coming. Make sure to check out thenextwall.com. Make sure to listen to the first part of this two-part pod with Corbo, Maggio, and Aaron. And, yeah, until next time. All right, be good, guys.